Welcome everybody to Journey Church today. I'm so glad you guys are here. Uh, my family and I just got back from a week away, and it was really, really great, but it was also something that uh, we've just been looking forward to getting back here in this place with you guys, doing what we just did, experiencing the goodness of God, the presence of God, and so it was kind of like a magnet pulling us away from the lake back here. And uh, this weekend, Pastor Sean and his whole crew, uh, they're off uh, enjoying some similar things. And so uh, Pastor Sean set up for us a, uh, a take five message today. And uh, those of you who have, have seen or listened to one of these before, you know what uh, you're about to experience. And so right now, before I say anything else, let's go ahead and welcome our speakers to come forward and take their place on the stage. Come on up, guys. Now, those of you math geniuses out there counted four instead of five. And uh, that's okay. That's because I'm, I'm taking the, the first slot and then I'm going to hand it off and the rest of the four up here are going to uh, finish uh, the message. But this is, we, we did this last night, of course, Saturday night service. And uh, I told everybody last night, as far as sermons go, you guys got like a Thanksgiving feast. It was like everything was good. You know, it's like one of those times when you come back from grandma's house and it's like everything was good. I could, you know, and so that's what this is here today. And what I love about the take five message, uh, whichever time we've ever done it, and this one included, is it shows a very important truth and a very important principle. And that is this, God does not just speak to one man in a whole body like this. What we see here when we get people up here to share what God's been saying to them is we see how God is speaking to a lot of people. And even though you're going to hear different messages, you oftentimes you hear uh, a congruency or a connection from one to the next because God is speaking to his people. So this is a, this is a good thing. I want to kick us, kick us off here, though. Uh, with sharing just something very briefly uh, that, that God's been kind of stirring up in me. And so we just came off of a, a healing ministry training class, which was very good and uh, very fruitful, uh, exciting. A lot of people got healed and a lot of people got trained in healing. But in doing that, we interrupted our Tuesday night prayer gathering. And that is actually starting back up this Tuesday night. I want to let you all know about that, 7 o'clock over in Auditorium 2. And I mention that because prayer is so, so, so critically important. It's, it's, not a, it's not an optional ingredient. It's a necessary ingredient. It's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, we've, we've done the no-carb thing at times, right? You know, where it's like you can't eat any carbs, and we'll go to, to a pizza place, and I'll be like, I'll take the no-carb pizza, you know? And then they'll bring something out in a little bowl, and it's like, well, that's a bowl of toppings. I mean, it's good. Don't get me wrong. It's good, but you gotta, if you want to call it a pizza, you got to have some kind of crust. Well, prayer is that way for a believer. Prayer has to be a part of your life. It has to not just be an optional additive to your life. And there's a type of prayer that 
maybe not everybody um, exercises or is active in or take, takes part in. And what it is, and you could call it different things. Uh, you could call it prophetic prayer. You could call it making a declaration. You could call it making a proclamation. And I want to just talk about it and how it's important to do it and how we actually do it in services, whether you realize it or not. So it's a little bit of a teaching on that. So this idea of declaring a thing or a confession or a proclamation is an idea that I was very familiar with growing up, but then for a season, I kind of shied away from it because I had seen it, and maybe some of you can relate with me on this, I had seen it abused and misused. You know, I'd seen the televangelist who said, you know, you know, at five o'clock, if 500 people will send $5,000, I declare you will get five really good things. You know, that kind of, and I'd seen it abused and misused. But listen, uh, don't react to error and create another error. And I, I, actually, I actually saw this quote recently that says, the abuse of a principle doesn't give me an excuse for no use of a principle. So I think of it like this. An abuse doesn't give me an excuse for no use. And so this idea of praying in this way, the idea that our words actually can be used by God when God gets in them and we speak his word, that something actually happens. And I want to read you just a couple scriptures real quick and then show you what I'm talking about and pass the baton. There are some verses in the Bible that talk about the power of our words. So Proverbs 18.21 is the verse that says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. Matthew 11.23 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Now, that's, that's something Jesus said. Now, there's a lot more to that statement than just that one verse. You have to put it in context of what he was teaching. But Jesus said that. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Matthew 12.37 says, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So according to what I just read you directly out of Scripture, a lot of this from Jesus' own uh, lips, according to what I just read, words, your words have a direct connection to life and death, to breakthrough, to salvation, to justification, really, really big, important, weighty subjects. Your words are connected to them. So we have a responsibility to use our words for God's purposes, because we represent him here on this earth. We, we represent him. So I want to show you how we're already doing this. Um, and we sing a song here. Um, actually, we sing many songs. We sang some songs today that actually did this. But I want to talk about one song in particular that we sing that does this, and it's, it's called Let It Be Here. Actually, you know, this is a really good opportunity for me to mention that this song is available on the latest release of uh, Journey Church's worship team. 
And uh, it's out there. It's actually on all the streaming services and all that stuff. But if you need a CD, like I do, I still own a CD player. Uh, we have some copies of this available out in the lobby. Uh, there's a suggested donation. But if you don't have anything, then just take it because we want to bless you with this. But we have, so that song is on this CD. It's called Let It Be Here. And the, the chorus of that song is doing what I'm talking about. So let's put the words up. It says this, let there be light in the deepest darkness. Let there be love to chase away fear. Let there be peace in the midst of the tempest. Let your kingdom come as it is in heaven. Let it be here. Now, Here's the principle that I'm sharing. This is, the, this is the one point that I have. We can declare a thing and believe that it will bear fruit, that it will have an impact, that it will make a difference if the thing that we're declaring is actually God's words. So now if I get up here and just declare something that's Aaron's words, then it, it's like a, an old friend of mine used to say, it's uh, that and $5 will get you a cup of coffee. And, but if I'm declaring something that God has declared, that's a whole different thing. So every line of that song is actually God's word. Let there be light in the deepest darkness. John 1, 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Let there be love to chase away fear. 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Let there be peace in the midst of the tempest. Mark 4, 39 talks about when Jesus stood up in the midst of the storm and said, peace, be still. And then he talked to his followers and said, where's your faith? And then the last one, of course, is really the kind of the, the hinge that this all swings on. Let your kingdom come as it is in heaven. Let it be here. Because Jesus is the one who sets this principle into motion. When his disciples say, Lord, how should we pray? And he says, pray like this. And he says, start off with worshiping God, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he says, the very first, the very first thing after that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus commands us to pray in this way. Now, let me address the one possible pushback you might have to this idea of praying in this way. Because it's a, like I said, it's something I wrestled with. Um, and it's the idea that, well, I only want to pray the will of God. You know, because I feel like it's arrogant for me to declare something or proclaim something uh, as if I have any authority on my own. I agree with you on that. I agree. But... There is, a, there is a pattern or a process that can put that concern completely at rest for you. And I kind of laid it out in a series of statements, and instead of going through them all like points, I'm just going to put it all up at the same time and kind of come to a close with this. We can confidently pray God's will when we spend time in God's word. That's the bedrock we can confidently pray God's will when we spend time in God's word. His will is revealed in his word. Have you ever prayed for somebody and they said, well, okay, I, I, I want to be healed, but, you know, Lord, your will be done. 
just open up his word and find out if it's his will for someone to be healed. I mean, I'm not even going to answer that question. Look it up. It's there. His will is revealed in his word. His word goes into our hearts. So when you spend time in his word, it's not just an academic thing. It goes into your hearts. And then the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It comes out of our mouth and it changes our world. So this is how you pray prophetically or you make a declaration or a proclamation. You spend time in his word. You put it into your heart. And then when you pray, you begin declaring. So you're not just saying, Lord, I know that my neighbor needs to be saved. God, if it's your will, let him be saved. No, you know that it's God's will because you've spent time in his word. It's gone into your heart. And then you can pray with boldness and confidence and faith what God's will says. And it actually changes things. Things that our physical eyes don't see change and happen and strongholds break down because we're speaking God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to turn it over to my lovely wife, Sarah. Awesome. Um, Man, that last worship song, I think I accidentally hit your wife a little bit during worship. Yeah, Um, sorry about that. Um, Don't you just get so excited in worship? I can't even handle it. Um, But I think one of the lines or just something about it was, New life, when, when in, new life in Christ, it begins when we give our life to him, and we're set free. I don't think we recognize and realize all the things we are set free of when we start our new life with Christ. And that's actually what I'm talking about this morning, is new life in Christ. And I want to start with the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Um, I found another version that I really liked. Um, I don't have this one for you guys to put up, but you can leave that one up. Um, In the NIV, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Man, that is so amazing. That just makes me happy thinking about it. I love the worship songs we sing that are connected to this new life in him. Um, And I just want to pray right here, but this is one of the questions. Are we walking in new life in Christ the way we, when we gave our life to Christ, are we really walking in everything that he wants us to? Um, So I just want to take a moment just to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just reveal to us the truth, that we would be able to separate the old way and the new life in you and really walk in it in Jesus' name this morning. Okay, so... Um, I, have, I want to take us back about 30 years ago um, in my life. And I've shared this a little bit when I was 14 is really when I started my journey with Jesus. And it actually started with a handful of Christian friends. Um, I was 14. I, was, I had a lot of issues going on um, physically, emotionally. And I had a Christian friend notice something that was going on. So that's what us Christian brothers and sisters should be doing for each other, helping each other out, recognizing when something's going on in someone's life, saying, man, let me pray for you. So these friends prayed for me. My family prayed for me that night. That night, I radically, my life changed. I mean, I was not the same person. I was healed. I was delivered. I was set free. I was 14 years old. I wasn't even chasing after God. 
Um, and God was just waiting and looking for me to be set free. And so that night, I got set free, demons cast out, healed. My life radically changed. I have not been the same since. Our life should not be the same after saying yes to Jesus. And if it's not the same, you might examine yourself and say, why is my life not full of his love and his peace and his joy? Why? Because the old has passed away. The new is bright and vibrant. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's issues, right, that we have. But in Christ, Christ in us, this journey should be amazing, and we should be walking along with each other, doing these adventures together and sharing our stories. Um, So that's really when things shifted. Now, I, I have grown and grown. We should be growing and growing in Christ as we've said yes to him, wherever that is on your timeline, there sh- you should see growth in your life. Um, so fast forward about 30 years. Um, about eight years ago, we moved into this beautiful home in the backyard, this beautiful big bush growing. Over the years, this bush started dying. I wasn't giving it a lot of attention, um, but the last couple months, I mean, it was completely dead. Um, and so what do you do? I, I don't want to see a dead thing there. So I go in one weekend and I start pulling out all these dead limbs or these dead branches from this bush. And right in the middle, this just cracked me up, but right in the middle of this bush was growing this giant tree. It had killed this bush. I, I mean, still, Aaron, I'm still like, why did we not like ever see this big, beautiful tree just like growing? But there's a dead bush, completely dead. I actually, if you could put this little picture up. That's me. And, and I captured that moment while I was pulling all the, that dead stuff out. And I captured it with the tree that was growing. Because it was just like this moment for me that day as I was like pulling all the limbs. And I'm like, I am done with the old. I am done with my old life, my old thoughts, my old ways. And God just like shining on me and saying, Sarah, this tree, you, this tree, you're growing, you're strong. The dead has passed away. Behold, all things are new. And I'm just so happy. I mean, again, just the sun shining. And I just felt the presence of God that day. And we should continue to have those moments. Capture them. Tell people about them. Remind people that God is moving and doing things. And so, again, I just want to leave with, I'll see if I can find it. Um, I found just an encouraging thing that I'd like to share before I pass it to Chris. Um, So in Christ, this is the new life we should be having in Christ. In Christ, we are courageous. In Christ, we are accepted. These are things we need to believe and we need to walk out in truth about ourselves and about each other, right? In Christ, we are never alone. Never In Christ, we are chosen. In Christ, we are loved every single day. In Christ, we are free. I I love singing about that. I I just have the band come up, but that's not my thing. Um, I got too many other people behind me. Um, In Christ, we have a purpose. Um, In Christ, we are precious. In Christ, we are enough. Right? All right, Chris. You're done? <laughs> okay. Thank you.
Good morning, my name's Chris Yeager, if you don't know me. And about three months ago, I got stuck on a phrase that uh, uh, there is power in the name of Jesus that, from a song that we were singing here in, at church. And I asked the Lord, what does that really mean? You know, what's the meaning behind the words? And so, you know, I started meditating on it, and God began to birth in me what he wanted me to understand. And he began to show me aspects of this power in that name, and he began putting the pieces together. And for lack of a better way of uh, illustrating it, it's kind of like the pieces of a puzzle. And so in my daily reading, I came across the scripture of 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." And have you ever found yourself, and I imagine we all have, in a place where you're trying to believe for something and have enough faith for something and you know you're just not there yet. You know, you just, you know, you really want to believe totally, but you're wavering. Well, let me suggest to you, you don't have a faith problem, you have a knowledge problem. Because Matthew 17, 20 tells us, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain and nothing will be impossible for you. So it's not the amount or the size of faith that we have, it's the knowledge that we have. We lack, we lack knowledge of him. So when we're trying to believe for something, understand that actions follow faith. Faith does, uh, they don't precede faith, amen? Faith follows knowledge. Romans 10, 17 tells us, Faith comes by the hearing of the word, or by or through the knowledge of the word. And Jesus is the word. Faith comes through the knowledge of him. So in 2 Peter, what, that we just read a little, bit, a little bit ago, it says that all things, all things have been given to us that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And it's through that knowledge that we may become partakers of those promises. And I heard somewhere in, in the last couple of weeks that someone said that we, there's like something like 7,000 promises in the Word of God for us. And then another piece of the puzzle that I was reading in my daily reading again, I came across uh, Psalm 910. And it says, And those who know your name will put their trust in you. And for you, Lord... For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You know, this doesn't mean that those who know that God is called Jehovah. It means that those who know God's character, God's nature, those who know what he's like, those who have a revelation of who he is, those will put their trust in him, have their faith in him. The power in the name of Jesus for you and me is in knowing who Jesus really is. He's the embodiment of love, of kindness, of gentleness, of faithfulness. It's the meaning behind the name. It's what it represents. It's what it stands for, the authority and the power that it carries. And because of that, then we can put our trust in him. The bottom line is, we, you know, when we're trying to believe for something, we won't trust someone we don't know. Amen? As Christians, we say, in the name of Jesus, we say it a lot, 
But you know, just to say it like a formula or parroting, there's no faith in that. There's no power in that. The faith is in having a revelation of him, in knowing you can trust him because of who he is and what he's like. That's where the power is. Then a couple of weeks ago in worship here at church, I heard the Lord say to me the word dichotomy. Well, I knew what it meant, but as I started meditating on it, the Lord told me, he says, this is another piece of the puzzle. He told me that I had a dichotomy. I asked him if this was a word just for me, and he said it was for me, but it's for others too. And the word dichotomy means a division or a contrast between two things opposed or entirely different. And this is not just about being double-minded. This is about something that are two opposing ideas, like love and, peace, love and hate or war and peace, okay? And this made me immediately think of Mark 20, 9, 24, where the father cries out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We can have belief and unbelief in it at the same time. That's a dichotomy. When we say yes to God, and you know, here at Journey, we've been, we, we've been talking about saying yes to God, and we can say yes to God and truly mean it at the time, but then our actions don't line up with what we've just said, because we have two opposing ideas in our thinking. Why is that? It's because we lack knowledge of him. We say we believe God, we say that we want to trust him, but then we waver on whether or not he'll supply or whether or not he'll answer that prayer. We waver because we have unbelief, and that unbelief is outweighing the belief, and that is because we lack knowledge of him. John 8.32 says, and you know this scripture, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let me say it this way. It's the truth that you know that will set you free. The truth that you have a revelation of. The truth that it means something to you. When you have a light bulb moment and all of a sudden it's, a, oh yes, I understand this. That's when it becomes first nature to you. It's that truth that you know that will set you free. And one of the reasons that I had a dichotomy in me is I was believing God to set me free in some areas and I th truly thought I was believing, but I really wasn't. It was because I wasn't taking my authority. It was kind of like what Pastor Aaron was saying. I wasn't taking my authority and declaring and enforcing the spiritual laws that God has placed in, in, put in place here on earth. I was passively saying, God set me free. He, when he has already done so, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. I, I didn't have a true, real revelation of that truth. I had it in my head. I knew it in my head, but I wasn't acting on it. I wasn't speaking it out, and I wasn't agreeing with what God said in his word. And this is not about head knowledge. This is not about doing enough Bible reading, although that's where we're going to find out about Jesus. This is about you knowing him well enough through the word of God. You know, we won't understand or have a revelation of Jesus without reading the word of God. And so we have to meditate on what it says about him. This is about getting to know him so well through the word of God that your belief in him is so solid that the unbelief is replaced with belief. 
So as I close, listen to one more scripture that I have. And this is a description of Jesus. Amen. It's John 1, 16, and it's out, the, out of the Amplified. It says, for out of his fullness, abundance, we have all received, all had a share, we were all supplied with, one grace after another, a spiritual, and spiritual blessing upon spiritual blessing, and even favor upon favor, and gift heaped upon gift. This is describing Jesus. This is knowledge of him, his fullness, out of his fullness. And the word fullness there means the sum total of all that is in God. Jesus, in Jesus, there's the totality of wisdom, of power, of love of God. And I understand that this is only one aspect of the power in the name of Jesus, but it is one aspect. It is in knowing him, his fullness. Out of his fullness, we have all received. Because of that knowledge, we become partakers of the supply, of the spiritual blessing, of the favor, of the gifts, of the promises, okay? And if we're not partaking of the promises, we don't know him. The power is in the connection, in the relationship. When we know him fully, when we know who he is, not just know about him, that's what gives the name power. That's what that gives the name power for us. Amen? It's when we know that that we become partakers of his divine nature. I hope this has helped you. Now I'm passing it on to Daniel. I'm Daniel Morrow, in case you don't know who I am. Um, I wanted to share a little bit today about a journey that my wife and I, and primarily me, who's been on the last couple years. Um, I grew up a um, pastor's kid. My father was a pastor, and my grandfather was a pastor. Um, grew up in the church, but um, over the last couple years, two years uh, in specific, um, we've really started looking and asking God, where do you want us to be? Um, instead of just being attending church and being a part of it, we want to say, God, where do you want us? Where is our position uh, in what you have for us to do? So we started uh, seeking God a little bit more. And something that started rising up inside of us was Matthew 6.33, over and over and over. Seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom. So I don't know if you all remember two years ago was right in the start of COVID started happening and all this stuff going on everywhere in the world. And it's amazing when God gives you a seek first the kingdom, all these distractions to start pelting your mind and pelting your, uh, what's going on around you. And really started learning a valuable lesson of when God says to seek first that you have to redirect. So you get the distractions that come in from the side and you have to really redirect back into what God has told you. So you bring the distractions in and you say, okay, God, what do you have for me? Not just a distraction. So we really started asking, what place do you have for us as a married couple? What place do you have for our family? And what place do you want us to be in the kingdom of God? And over the course of a year, we kind of started, we were gaining that knowledge of who God was in our lives and seeing his strength and his faithfulness come over and over and over. And Isaiah 58 started rising up inside of us. And we kind of started taking that as this is the mission that God has for us. And Isaiah 58, I didn't put it up on the screen, but it says, The Lord will guide you continually, and he will give you water when you are dry. Even in the desert places, he will give you water. And you will restore your strength, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like an everlasting spring. And further down it says, Then you will be known as rebuilders of walls and restorer of homes. So we kind of felt like, okay, God, this is the mission you have for us and our family. Now, where do you want us to go? 
and we got a resounding stay. So I'd been in law enforcement for about 16 years. I'm still in it. And I have, had reached a point where, okay, God, I need something different. This isn't where I'm supposed to be. I need to be doing something different. And we got a stay. So we got to go back to seek first the kingdom, seek first the kingdom. God, where are we supposed to be? About a year ago, I finally got to the point inside of me where I said, God, whatever you need me to do, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll go wherever you need me to go. I want to seek you first. So I remember in worship, and it's amazing what happens in worship. We were sitting right over here and came in one morning in the middle of worship, and I just felt this kneel. And I said, absolutely not. I will not kneel. No. And I left. And I think looking back at it now, it was more about not, not are you going to kneel? It was more about, do you care what I'm asking you to do more than what somebody next to you or what somebody behind you has to say? And I chose not to. I walked out the door and said, nope. So I came back the next, next week. I was sitting in about the same spot. Right in the middle of praise and worship again, I, I heard kneel. So at this point, I said, okay, fine, I'll kneel. So I knelt down over there. I knelt, and I got back up. Didn't feel anything different, but I did what God asked me to do. And then after that, I reached the point where I said, God, if you open the door, anything what it is, I'll walk through it. So I noticed over the last year and a half it had been that my heart had started changing, and I was really trying to put God first. It doesn't matter. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And I'd been talking to Pastor Sean over the course of this and telling him what was going on in our lives and in our heart. And he listened and he said, okay, what about take five? And I didn't say anything and I went home and was talking to some people about it. And they said, you remind me of Moses. When God asked Moses to do something, but, 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 but. And then I realized, okay, God, I said I'd walk through a door. So I'll walk through the door. And I realized that God has no qualms about facing you with something where you have to completely trust in him. That you, there is no other option. If you're going to walk through and you're going to be obedient, you must trust him. So I asked God, okay, what would you like me to share? What would you like me to share? What can I convey over my experience over the last couple of years here? And I've always wondered sitting in here when I'm taking sermon notes, you hear pastors go, okay, I got three things for you. And I always said, okay. There must be something they teach in Bible school. It must be three. You have to have three things. So I said, God, what do you have for me to share? And I got three things. <laughs> so the first one I, I, I wanted to share today is ask God where he wants you. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly, and he delights in every detail of their lives. That delight there is think of you and your best friends, the thing that you would do anything for. That's the delight. He really, really, really enjoys having every detail of your life taken care of. The second thing is be quick to listen. When the Holy Spirit puts something in you, don't turn around and walk out the door and say, no, I'm not doing that. Because I guarantee you, you're going to come back to it. It's going to keep coming back until you decide to kneel or do what needs to be done. And the third thing that I've been learning so much over this is travel steadily. That it's not an A to B. It's not a, I need to be there now. It's, God, where do you need me to be? What is the aspects of my heart that need to change so that I can arrive at B? Uh, Psalm 37, 34. Put your hope in the Lord and travel steadily. And that's re resolute and consistent. That's a step by step by step by step. Travel steadily along his path. 
So I think that's something that's really solidified in me that I can't arrive over here to where God needs me to be, to the work that I need to be doing for him if I have heart issues over here, that I won't yield. So I want to leave with something that Pastor Sean said uh, in the end of October. And he said, the safest place you can be in your life is at the very center of God's will. When you say yes. Well, hello. My name is Michael Heitzman. For those of you that don't know me, my family and I have been attending Journey here since around 2016. We took a small hiatus in 2020, uh, moved up to South Dakota uh, for about a year and a half, and then uh, God brought us back here to Kansas City and Journey Church, uh, which was awesome. But uh, that's a whole other story, and, and Sean said I only have about 30 minutes, so I'm going to have to do that another time. So Sean approached me a few weeks ago and said, hey, uh, I'd, like to, I'd like you to consider sharing something that uh, God's been working on you and teaching you um, and sharing it in front of for the take five. And so I said, okay, let me take some time to think about it and pray about it. Well, I did that not because the sharing, because God told me right away what I was supposed to share, but I did it because I was concerned. I was concerned that the thing that God's been working on me was hard. It was deep. And I could probably offend one or two of you out there. But then I thought about it and prayed about it some more and realized, you know, I don't really work here, so you guys can't fire me, so I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so, so let's get into it. So I was sitting here. I was worshiping one morning, and God started to reveal it to me. And he, he talked to me. He goes, Michael, your heart and your mindset about church is all wrong. You see, I was looking at church as an activity, as a routine, Something I did when you got down deep to it as a selfish desire to be a good Christian or to get something out of it for myself. You see, on the surface, I knew, okay, what church was about, learning about God, going out side of these walls and, and witnessing and bringing more people to God. But it goes so much deeper than that. As I was worshiping and God started to reveal stuff to me and I look over and I see Sean walk in and sit down and God said, this is about a family he is the head of this household, and you are to follow, support, and help him. This is God's household. It's about, it's not about you, Michael. It's about me. You've got to think about this as a family. You see, the original church, you know, derived, you know, in, in Bible times, derived from the word ecclesia. And, and that simply means to gather or assemble. So God started working on me more. He brought the verse up, Ephesians 5, 22 through 32. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hates his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. 
Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery that's profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So I'm not going to get into the whole husband and wife thing. There's other people, find Megan and Joseph, and, and talk to them about that. But what I want to point out is God cares about family, and he cares about family both in the church and outside of it. God did not intend church to be about buildings or activities. It's about family. It's about relationships with your brothers and sisters, gathering together and building the family about God. So what does this mean? Okay, hold tight. Here we go. You don't just leave a church. You don't just leave a family because somebody says something or does something that you don't agree with. Now, my parents said stuff all the time growing up, and I just didn't leave the family. No one's perfect. You don't pick the church or your family based on the best-looking house. You don't pick your family or stay with your family because they serve the best food, the best programs or activities. Those things are all great, and churches should incorporate those, but our heart has to be in the right place. Our responsibility in this family is to help build it, to support it, to use our gifts to help this family, God's family, thrive. So we're going to watch a quick video. Um, as you watch it, I want you to think about the hearts of the people in the video. And I want you to think about your heart when you come to church. It's about the church in China. Few places in the world are seeing the explosion of God's power like the underground church in China is experiencing. And in the last 60 years, China's communist government has done its best to wipe Christianity off the map. What you are about to see is some of the rarest footage on the planet. In this church, the people wake up at 4.30 to come together for two hours to pray and worship. They do this every day. This church meets in the only place they are safe, a cave. This church meets on a farm, far away from prying eyes. Here's an example of an underground church outreach. The people sitting are Christians. The people who are standing are not. This particular preacher was once crippled, but was healed when someone prayed for her. She now preaches the good news of Jesus to anyone who will listen. In this particular meeting, over 1,000 people became Christians. Here, Christians cast out demons from an 18-year-old girl. She's now a preacher. In Shanghai alone, there are over 3,000 house churches, just like this one. One thing Dennis pointed out to me was that most of the underground churches in China are actually led by young people. These kids have all come out of the communist system, and they want nothing to do with it. They only want to spread the love of Jesus to everybody they meet. 
This is a music school. Well, that's the cover anyway. It's really a training school for students who want to be pastors. The government thinks they're simply learning to play instruments. One thing I quickly realized about the Chinese church is that it's a lot different from the American one. For one thing, they think a four-hour sermon is short. In this church service, it's 120 degrees inside the building. The people meet for 12 hours straight. So now, we have to ask ourselves, if church in the U.S. was like church in China, would we still go? Would we still have a desire in our heart to help this family grow, to thrive? It's a tough question. But if our mindset and our heart is about an activity and not about growing God's family, both inside and outside of these walls, then is our heart in the right spot? Man, let's all stand up. Father, right now, God, I just pray that you would uh, let our hearts be like good soil. Jesus, you talked about the sower of seed that cast seeds out, and he knew that some seeds would fall on stony ground, some seeds would fall on shallow ground, some seeds would fall on thorny ground, and some seeds would fall on good ground and they would bear fruit. God, let our hearts be good ground for everything that we heard here today. And Lord God, I, I, I want to key in specifically on the last thing that we just saw and heard. Father, I pray that you would awaken in us an awareness of who we are, of the family that we're a part of, and Lord, I pray that you would awaken in us, Lord, a love for people, a love for your church, and an even deeper love for you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. We're so grateful, God. We're so thankful for what you've done for us, for your goodness and your love. Lord, that we are saved, we are redeemed. We are a part of your family. We are a son and a daughter of God. Thank you, Jesus. And God, before we leave, we just want to worship you one more time. So Lord, just receive this, these words, these, these notes, these chords, Lord, as worship and love for you in Jesus' name.